Hey, good morning, good morning. Welcome to LCC. Uh, my name is Brett Machat, and this is the worship band for the morning, and we just wanted to uh, welcome you and say happy 4th of July. I know that it is a little early. We're like a couple days early, uh, but we wanted to acknowledge just uh, how thankful we should be because of our freedom that we have in this country, uh, but also, uh, even more incredible than that, uh, we have freedom from our sin uh, and independence from uh, who we were before we turned to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Right, and if you don't know Jesus this morning, you can know him today. Just find me after the service, come to lunch, talk to me. Honestly, you could probably talk to anybody around. The worship team, they all know. Uh, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't have freedom from sin uh, and knowing him, just come talk to us. We'd love to get to know you and talk to you about that. Uh, but why don't you stand uh, so we can lift up our praise and our worship to God uh, in thankfulness for the freedom that we have this morning. Lord, thank you so much for your presence this morning. And thank you for your presence in our life. Thank you because you are the only one that can bring us real peace. We need it. Lord, bless Bless Tom this morning. Use him to speak to our heart, to our needs. We want to be like you, Lord. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. Brett, thank you and the worship team for leading us again today. And I want to say welcome to everyone here. Uh, we're glad that you chose to worship with us today and saying welcome as well to those that might be joining us on the live stream. Uh, my name is Josh Rodriguez, and I serve here on staff, uh, helping with the building and the property and, and what God has given us and blessed us with. So we're glad that you've chosen to worship uh, with us this weekend. And if you're looking for info, if you're looking for ways to get connected and plugged in, one of the great ways to do that is looking at uh, mylcc.info. So I'm gonna share a couple announcements uh, before Tom leads us in the message today. The first one being that this is the first Sunday in July, which leads us to what? First Sunday lunch, yes. So if you're a little uh, newer uh, to LCC, what happens is at the beginning of each month on that first Sunday, uh, we have a lunch right after the service. There is no need if you felt like I didn't know about it, I didn't bring anything, everyone is welcome. So immediately after the service, uh, we're going to grab something to eat. I believe we're heading out there. You're going to see some chairs and tables in the lobby. Uh, but it's an excellent opportunity not only just to eat together, but to meet some new faces and to get to know some people maybe that you don't know as well. Uh, so that'll be the first one. Uh, second one, we are doing some renovations. Actually, in the same area where you're grabbing some food, we're going to renovate that youth area. And that's going to start on July 11th, and we're going to be doing, excuse me, we're going to be doing that for a couple weeks following. Uh, so a great place to sign up if you are available on particular days, but also you're going to see a dry erase board uh, right outside the lobby. So if you just want to put your name on there, we will follow up with you. So you can either do it on the computer or over there on that dry erase board, just letting us know that you're interested and available and we can reach out. That space is used quite a bit from multiple people, so uh, we're going to do some things with that. And... Tom, if you could come up, this is a, another announcement that we have here. 
is that we are going to be doing another Renew class. And Tom, we've actually done a few of them recently. Tell us a little bit of the ones that we've done uh, and the thought behind that. Yeah, so um, we just uh, feel compelled that, that um, we, we, we take the word renew from Romans chapter 12, to, that uh, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so we wanted to focus on the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? How, how do we know them better? And, and sound theology, like when we put a, a, a comprehensive understanding of the Bible together, what does it tell us about God and who he is and, and how he's... Uh, He's made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. So we've been doing some classes. We yeah. did one on, um, on God and the Bible, like yeah. how, how, who is God and how has he revealed himself. We just did a... The uh, second one was uh, C.S. Lewis books. Yep, yeah. C.S. Lewis. We looked at, we mm-hmm. had people read one, between one and four different yeah. books by C.S. Lewis, and we discussed them together, and it was really life-giving. So, yeah. yeah. And we have another one coming up. What, uh, give us a little teaser on where this one is headed. Yeah, a, it is a yet-to-be-named um, <laughs> class. But, but so are we taking votes on those names? Or? Uh, no, there will be Not a really. the okay. secret gotcha. meeting of the secret naming society <laughs> is going to get together. Um, but, but we're going to, this next one uh, will we'll begin in August. Um, yeah. And um, we're going to be discussing um, really like fundamental questions of life. The questions that we all sort of ask and answer, like, um, but, but we tend to kind of put them aside or try not to deal with them at times. Like, like. Who am I? Where did, where did everything come from? Like, like, how do I know that like, there really is a God? And, and what is God like? And, and, and those kinds of questions that, that again, are, are they're fundamental to like, the way we look at the world and interact with God, but from, we, we tend to sort of push them away. So, so that's the class. Okay. And that class is, uh, we're talking incredibly scholarly. This is for everybody. It's for, what, what, it really is for everybody. I mean, okay. the, the thing about this class is that the questions that, that these questions that we're going to address, um, there's a reason we avoid them. And I think the reason we avoid them is because at some point in time, we sat in an introduction to whatever, philosophy class or whatever, and, and we just decided, like, that's not for me. But the, but the truth is that every one of us answers these questions in our life whether we put an ounce of thought into them or whether or not we pour over them, we have answers for these questions. And as believers in Christ, it's essential that we, that we understand that the Scripture answers those things and it answers them plainly. And so that's what we're going to try and do. Is we're going to say, like, yes, these are, there are times where these are the questions that like, can, can sort of like distance us from, from uh, thinking too deeply about things. But the answers, if we, if we trust, take out his word and trust him, these answers are, are available to us. Yeah, and we've had a good group of people come to the first, to the second. So, again, we invite you all to join into this one. August details will be coming a little sooner. Or, yeah, yeah coming very coming soon. Up, yep, very soon. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Tom. Uh, teach us today. Thank you. Well, yeah, good morning. Um, and um, just want to start this morning by acknowledging that as a, as a culture, we have certain things that we that we say and we just take for granted. And one of those things is that some people just have to learn things the hard way, right? Like we just, we've, we've looked back at history, we've looked at our own lives, and, and we just sort of say without thinking much, you know, some people just have to learn things the hard way. So I got to think about some of the things that we, that we tend to learn the hard way, and they kind of fall into categories, right? Um, we've learned some financial lessons the hard way, right? Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna use this credit card a little bit, right? And, and that's one of those lessons that, that if we've learned that one the hard way, it can be kind of painful. 
Um, we learn lessons about like our, our food intake, right? Like it's, it's not a problem if I have this really big steak late at night and, and chase it down with, you know, a really rich, sweet dessert. That's not going to be a problem for me at all at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, we, we think about, um, you know, there's, there's relational things that we learn the hard way, right? Like all of my friends and family think that this person is no good for me. But I see who they really are, right? That's, that's another lesson that many of us We'll learn the hard way over time. Um, you know, entertainment choices, right? Like, I'm just going to turn Netflix on for just one, one episode. One episode is all I'm going to do, and then eight hours later, we've learned, like, there's no such thing as one episode. Or maybe we said, like, you know, um, um, you know I'm sure this Fast and Furious movie is going to be much better than the last one. <laughs> we, maybe we've learned that the hard way. Um, so, so, you know, when we, we think about certain things in, in life, there are things that, that we learn by making mistakes, right? There are things that we learn by making mistakes. And today, in, in the book of Daniel, we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at someone who learned something the hard way, okay? They learned something the hard way. Then throughout the book of Daniel, we've been, we've been uh, focusing on this, this verse from, from chapter 11, um, where it's, it's said that, that the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So we, if we know God, Okay, this is a, an overall theme in the book of Daniel. If we know God, we ought to be able to stand firm in, in who he is and what he's revealed to us. But also from there, it's not just standing put, staying where we are. It's taking action. And so when we, when we, look, at, when we look at the book of Daniel, we see examples of people who, who were with God. They had special revelation from God. We see the, the central uh, person in the book of Daniel, this, this, he's not a character, he's a, he's, a, he's a person who lived in real time and space, who was uprooted as a young man from his home and taken to a foreign land, essentially as a slave. But then when he got there, he was consistent and faithful to do what God put in front of him. And, it, and, and, and that put him on a path, there were ups and there were downs. Okay? But he stood firm and he took action from where he was. So we're going to take a look today at, at chapter 5 in the book of Daniel. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, great. It'll be on the, on the screen. And we're going to read through this passage and, and, and this, this account that takes place. But before we start, um, there, it is important because the book of Daniel jumps around a bit. Uh, um, it, it, it sort of skims over things that maybe in our 21st century sensibility of storytelling, we would say like, hey, I need some stuff to fill in the gaps here. But the fact of the matter is we don't have the gaps. We just have what, what the scriptures tell us. So, so, so I already mentioned Daniel and, and his, his three, uh, the three named friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were, were taken from, from Judah, and they were taken to Babylon, and they were, they were essentially um, slaves there, but they did sort of like important work. And Daniel's faithfulness uh, and, and his ability to interpret dreams um, enabled him, like that was an ability that God had given him, it, it, it enabled him to rise to a level of prominence within Babylon. And, and, and then last week in, in chapter 4, the story kind of focused on the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and, and a dream that he had, and Daniel interprets that dream, but, but it also focused on Nebuchadnezzar's um, his pride and his, his belief that he had done wonderful things and that he had built this kingdom, and, and the, the truth was that God had, had given it to him. God had done it through him, right? And, and, and as punishment for, for his pride, he was forced to live like a beast, it said, for seven periods of time, if that's 
years or months or seasons, whatever it was, he was forced to live like a beast. But then he eventually, he, he lifted his eyes to heaven and acknowledged God again, and his, he was, he was, his sanity was restored, okay? And that was, that's where that, that chapter 4 ended, okay? Nebuchadnezzar praises God, and his sanity is restored. And now we're going to jump right into chapter 5, and as you're going to see, there's some big gaps in, in what happened between 4 and 5, okay? But consistent themes. So take a look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, King Belshazzar, okay? Not King Nebuchadnezzar, but we'll get some context on who this is in just a second. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. This is a, this is a big party, okay? They're having a big party. And this would, have been, um, this would have been like the worst of parties. This is all the parties that parents get worried about when their kids go off to college, okay? Like all the things that could be going on there were happening here, okay? The appropriate adult term for this is that this is an orgy. There is sen- sensual pleasure that's being pursued, okay? That's what's happening in, in this, this first century royal context, okay? And so, so they're, they're, they're having this party. In the midst of that party, in the midst of that party, Belshazzar, who is, it says his Nebuchadnezzar, like, was his father. The word is actually, it could be, like, his ancestor. Maybe it's his father. Maybe grandfather. doesn't matter, right? He, Belshazzar was the king in the line of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And, he, and so they, Belshazzar calls, calls to, to, to bring in the cups that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was the temple of, of Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, okay? And he, he calls for these, these items to be brought in, and then they drink the wine from them. But the, the thing about these was that when they were, when they were used in the temple of God, they were, there was a process they called it, it was consecration. They were, they were set apart as, as holy instruments, holy objects, su- supposed to be used only in the worship of God, God, the one and, and only true God, okay? And so, so he calls for them that they, that they can be brought in with, with his wives and his concubines, and they might drink from them. So verse 3. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. It's repeated again here. Verse 4. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So not only are they using these elements, they're actually using them in, in what is, there's, there's a tie between the, the things they're doing, the, the big party that they're having, okay, and their pagan worship. They're worshiping their false gods in all of these ways, with, with wine and sexuality, and I'm sure there was song, and all of the things going on. And, and so they're, they're drinking, they're using the, the, the elements, the, the, the cups that were taken from, from God's temple, the one true God's temple, and they're using them in this, in this uh, pagan ritual, okay, this pagan worship. In the midst of that, verse 6, it says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. So out of nowhere comes a hand, okay? And you probably heard the idiom, the handwriting's on the wall, the writing's on the wall. That is, this is exactly where it comes from, okay? That is a reference to this story, that in the midst of this party, here comes a hand. Now, I've wondered, you know, is it a giant hand? Is it a little hand? Is it, where, you know, what's going on? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't give us a size. We, we see that, we know that it's there. They know that it's there. They see it, okay? 
So it goes on. So, so uh, it wrote, uh, on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. That is an appropriate response to a disembodied hand that appears in the room and starts writing on the wall, right? We tend to use that phrase, that idiom, to say, like, hey, it was there all along, right? Like, you should have seen that the, hand, the writing was on the wall. Like, you should have seen it coming. That's actually not exactly what was it. This was a surprise. It shocked them, okay? And so out of nowhere, here's the handwriting on the wall. Verse 7, it goes on there. It says, the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. And he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So the idea being like you'll be set just below the king's son. Okay? So purple being, being a, an indication of royalty and who doesn't like a gold chain around their neck, right? That's, that's got the bling. And so, so, so purple clothing, gold chain, third in command. Okay? If you can tell me about the writing. Verse 8. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Everybody's confused by this. The queen, hearing the voice of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Again, the language is a little interesting here. Is this his mother, was this, or is this his wife? It doesn't really matter. The queen was not, wasn't in the room. She comes in the room. She says, may the king live forever. And she said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. She brings a little bit of... Um, clarity to this. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Notice that's, that's lowercase holy gods. She's saying that amongst all the gods, there is this man who has the power to, 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 to solve these things for you. He said, she says, in the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, not to be confused with Belshazzar, but Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. Okay? So he says, look, here's, she says, she says, look, here's this, yes, this thing has happened and it, right now it's inexplicable, but there's someone around, okay, there's someone around who has a history of explaining these things for us. She has the memory of Daniel. Okay? Moving on. Um, there's been, and he will tell you what the writing means. Verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have learned that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Again, notice. At this point in time, they, the, the, Belshazzar is, is not acknowledging the one true God. This is not Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of, of Israel. He's simply saying, you have a skill. I'm noticing that you have a skill. You're, you're good at interpreting difficult things. Like you sit down and do the Sunday crossword, and you get it done like shortly after lunch. right? Like you've got this lick. You can do this. So moving on, the wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. 
Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, same offer. You will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Right? So the king, this, this hand has, has, has appeared in the room. It's written a message. No one knows what it means. Okay? But Daniel comes in, and this is a little bit different from, from Daniel's interactions with, with Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar's father or ancestor. When, when Nebuchadnezzar would have a dream, it actually tells us in the book of Daniel several times that, that before Daniel would give Nebuchadnezzar the, the, the interpretation of the dream, it said that, like, Daniel at the time said he was terrified to tell him what it meant. Oftentimes because it was bad news, okay? That he was, he was terrified of this. In this case, it doesn't say anything of the sort. Daniel comes in. He's, he's, he's told to interpret what this, what this means, and without... Skipping a beat, he just simply says, look, you can keep your gifts. I don't care. He's indifferent to the gifts. He's not interested in the reward. But he's also not afraid of the message. He's not afraid of what it means. He's not afraid of the king. It tells us something about the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and Belshazzar. Right? That there was, not only was there, was there um, not, not only do we see Belshazzar doing, going a step beyond Nebuchadnezzar when it comes to like the people when it comes to the the whole these holy items that were taken from the temple what Belshazzar was doing was clearly wrong and immoral it also gives us a clue that that there was Belshazzar was not nearly as imposing a figure as his father right that he wasn't he wasn't quite the man that his father was that Nebuchadnezzar was that and or Daniel had just done this long enough that he was sort of indifferent to whatever was going on in, in, in this setting as far as what being afraid of the king. But either way, Daniel is certain of what he's going to do, what he's going to say. Okay? He's confident in what comes next. So keep reading in verse 18. He says, Your majesty, the most high God, now we have the one true God. The most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and people of every language dreaded and feared him. He's going to give a history lesson to Belshazzar. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Dan Daniel is stating the facts. He's not even saying this is, he's saying this is just the way that it was with your father, Nebuchadnezzar. Moving on, he says, but, but when his heart became arrogant... And hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. This is a recap of, of chapter 4. This is what happened in chapter 4. And then... Daniel gives him the big butt of chapter 5, right? But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, okay? You, your father, okay, went through all this, okay? And then he acknowledged. He says, but you haven't followed in your father's footsteps, Belshazzar. 
you should have known better, but you, but you didn't heed the example, the warning that came through your father. You didn't learn the lesson of history. Keep moving through this. Verse 23, he says, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven, the one true God. That's the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. Therefore, he set the hand, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, and here is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Right? It's really, it's come down through tradition as a repeat of mene in the, in the text. It's just once. Mene, tekel, and parson. Right? Mene, tekel, and parson. Those are three Aramaic words, right? But he says, and, and that we'll, we'll get, he's going to explain them in just a second. But he says, there's a therefore, because you haven't humbled yourself the way that your father has. God has sent a hand, this message by this hand, to give to you. He sent it to you. Now, there's mystery around um, why they couldn't read these words. Um, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but being Babylonians, their language would have been Akkadian. But, but these words are Aramaic, and Aramaic was a common language of the day. It's actually the language that this section of the book of Daniel is recorded and preserved in. Most of the Old Testament is in Hebrew, but Daniel, from Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 7 is in Aramaic. These words are Aramaic words. Um, our history in translating them has kept them in their Aramaic sense. Okay? So there's a mystery as to why they wouldn't have understood them. And, and, and um, scholars have, have wrestled with that over the years. Um, were they written in columns rather than in rows? Possibly. Okay? Um, it, 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 there's really no way to know. But, but whatever went on, they didn't recognize th- what these words meant. Okay? It's also possible, some have theorized, that it was actually they weren't written originally in Aramaic, that maybe they were written in a Hebrew that, that Daniel would have known. And not, but, but it doesn't tell us that. It's just an, maybe an, an assumption that some make. Whatever it is, they didn't know what, the, what these words were. Many, tekel, and parson. So Daniel's going to explain it. He says, here's what these words mean. The first one, many. It actually just means numbered. Okay? And so, so Daniel says, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought them to an end. He says, he says Belshazzar, the party is over, okay? The party is over. God, God has laid out from one to the end how long it's going to last for you, and, and it's been brought to an end. So the first one, mene, means God has numbered the days of your reign. He's brought it to an end. It's finished. The second word, tekel. He says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting, Literally, literally, it actually means like you've been set in the balance. That's what the, the word tekel like, set in the balance. Like you, you've been set in the balance, and, and it looks like the, 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 the implication of this is it looks like with all of your, your the, the, the fine life you live, with all of the power that you wield, it looks like any scale that you're put on is going to tilt in your favor, Right? But in this message that comes through this hand, it's the opposite. It looks like you should have weight and you should carry weight, but you don't. But you don't. You've been found lacking. And the last one, 
It's here. It's peres, or it's parsing in, in, in other places. Um, and that word just means divided. And it says this: Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So your days have been numbered, and they've come to an end. You've been weighed or judged, and you've been found lacking. You didn't measure up. And finally, okay, finally, this last one means divided. Your kingdom is going to be divided amongst these foreign armies, these foreign enemies. It's going to be given to the Medes and to the Persians. Put it all together, you've been judged, and you're going to lose it all. Okay? You've been judged, and you're going to lose it all. In the midst of the party, right? In the midst of the party, the good time, the hand comes in. And the hand has a message. And the message is, party's over. Party's over. And the party's over because you don't measure up, Belshazzar. The party's over because you don't measure up, Belshazzar, and there's going to be nothing left. It's going to be given to your enemies. The last couple thoughts, and then we'll go back through with some questions and ideas, says this. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. What a charade, right? Daniel didn't want it. He refused it when it was originally offered to him. Keep it. I don't want it. The news that Daniel had delivered was bad. And if they were going to be invaded, the people in purple with gold chains and third in command were going to be the first ones, you know, to go. So it's, it's an unusual act. But it wraps up by saying this. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay? So King Darius of the Medes comes in. Belshazzar is killed. So the, the, the punishment is immediately, right away, the message that God sent through this disembodied hand that it's over for you. Your time is up. You've been judged on the scales and you've been found that you don't measure up. Okay? And your kingdom's going to be divided. It was, it was recorded as that very night it happened, immediately. What Belshazzar had done, the way of life that Belshazzar had lived, it demanded an immediate response. It demanded an immediate response. Now, why did his father, Nebuchadnezzar, go around in his arrogance and, and have opportunity to change, and Belshazzar did not? We want to explore, okay? Because this is the thing. In, in my life, I'm guilty of the sins of Belshazzar. I'm guilty of taking what God has made holy and using it for my own pleasure. Maybe on a scale, on a, at least in degrees, maybe not to the degree that other people would look at and see the same thing, but I then see, and see, see it as, sorry, as, as equally immoral or whatever. But, but I'm, I'm guilty of it. I'm certainly, it's certainly a possibility for me. Perhaps if I had his resources, I would be just like him. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. Why did Nebuchadnezzar get multiple chances, okay? Well, within the text, it gives us some clues. So I want to I just look back through this at the different people that are in there to try and understand 
what, what took place with them and, and walk away today with, with, um, with, with, with a, a couple key thoughts. So the first person we want to look at is, is Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? At this point in the story, he's dead, but he looms large over the story. Okay? He's dead and gone, but he looms large over the story. As we said, he was a bad guy. Okay? He was imperialistic. He tortured his enemies. He had many, he took, took them in as slaves. His, his armies were guilty of all the atrocities of the ancient world. Okay? But it tells us that, that he did something. It's that he humbled himself before God. Maybe not at first glance, maybe not all the time, but when push came to shove, Nebuchadnezzar would humble himself before God. We looked at this last week, and this is part of the story. When Nebuchadnezzar was pushed to the extreme, Nebuchadnezzar looked up. He looked to God, the one God who's real. And he acknowledged that 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 God is the God who's in control, that that God, the one God, the God of Daniel, the God that we recognize as followers of Christ, that that God is ultimately in control. Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. But central in the chapter is Belshazzar, and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar is set up in contrast to Belshazzar. And so three things we find out about Belshazzar. The first thing is this, that he was judged and found lacking. That was obvious, right? It was obvious. So here's the thing. We, we, be, we, we live in a culture that hates the, the idea of judgment, unless, unless you're going on a singing or a cooking show. Then we love judgment, right? Make it harsh. And cruel, as cruel as possible, okay? But as we go about our lives, we haven't, we're, we're allergic to judgment, okay? We don't want anyone judging us. We feel that judgment is like, like, like making judgments about others is the cardinal sin. We can't do that, okay? So we've become so anti-judgment. But our avoiding judgment and condemning it doesn't ignore the fact that judgment is real, Okay? Judgment is real. The God who sent the hand to, to give the message to Belshazzar is the same God who judges rightly all mankind. The same judgment that Belshazzar was subjected to is the same judgment that all of us face. We may not like that fact, but it's the same judgment. It's the same judgment. Now, we understand the nature of that judgment. We understand that the nature of that judgment is against the standard of perfection in God himself, right? And no one comes up in the scales even on that. None of us, none of us are found anything but lacking or wanting in that judgment. And so in the grand story, in the big picture, God the Son came to earth to give his life as a sacrifice so that we don't stand the same punishment that Belshazzar did, right? This story foreshadows the story of what God does through his Son to make it so that we don't have to face the punishment like Belshazzar did. But judgment is real. Judgment is real. And without God's grace... Through Jesus Christ, we're just like Belshazzar, we're all found lacking. Whether we take, take holy objects from the temple and drink from them, whether we engage in the, in the licentious parties like, like Belshazzar did or not, it doesn't matter. We're all found lacking like Belshazzar. The second thing we find out about him 
is that in contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, who humbled himself at times, appropriately, Belshazzar was arrogant. Now, I want to say, uh, and, and Daniel tells us, that the, the book of Daniel tells us this in verse 22, there's, there's, there's this contrast, right? Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself, but you, it says in verse 22, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself. And then it says this, though you knew all this. Though you knew all this. See, the, the arrogance of Belshazzar is a little bit different from Nebuchadnezzar's in this way as well. Okay? There's a little bit, again, a little bit. It's not that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't, the, the, his father wasn't guilty of the things that he did and wasn't arrogant in his own right, but he kind of didn't uh, know any better, right? He, he kind of didn't, didn't have much of an opportunity apart from Daniel to know any better. But Belshazzar had at least one generation, maybe two, of the stories of what God, the one true God, had done through Daniel in, the, in Babylon and through Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, you should have known better. You knew all this. You knew what God did to, to, to your father, to your ancestor Nebuchadnezzar. You know that he humbled him and made him roam around like a wild beast. So with Belshazzar, it's not just arrogance. It's almost like hubris, right? It's a way of life that just sets itself against God based on the assumption that I'm not accountable to anyone, that, that what came before me doesn't matter, that I'm the one who actually breaks the mold and breaks the pattern. So I can get away with it. I can do as I please. And it's, it's not just arrogance in the sense of like some of these royals that thought they were God. It goes back to, to the words of, of temptation in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, right? That, oh no, just go ahead and do this thing and you can be like God. And it's the same temptation that we face all the time, right? We've been warned. We've been warned. God's not mocked. Our sin's going to find us out. And yet we go around continuing down the same paths that we've been warned are destructive. We know. We know that our lies are going to come back and turn on us, but we continue to tell them. We know that my, I know that my greed is going to corrupt my soul, but I continue to pursue more for me. I just sort of believe that, no, 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 the pattern that God has, has used with others is not the pattern he's going to use with me. That the accountability that he's placed on others is not the accountability that he's going to place on me. And in that way, I'm so much like Belshazzar. I'm just going to kind of push God aside and live my life. There's a hubris in Belshazzar. The third thing we see in him, okay? The third thing we see is that he, he took the good gift of God, the, the things set apart for God, and used them selfishly. Say it this way. He used God's holy elements for earthly indulgence. That's specifically what he did. But essentially, the bigger idea is this. He took what, what God had made holy, and he used it to satisfy himself, to please himself. And we do this all the time, right? We've had giving updates recently just to, to think about our money and our finances and who, who does my stuff really belong to? And yet, I use my finances all the time to indulge what I want, just to just get things for me. God may have given you a, a good mind to solve problems and to figure things out. 
to think forward. It's his good gift to you. But we use it to, to, to better our own life, to, to solve problems that make my own life more comfortable. What about relational acuity or just, just our ability to, to, to understand people, to, to relate to people? God, God gives it to us for his good purposes, to bless those around us. But most often we use it to kind of manipulate people so that we can have a better, more convenient life or, or so that we can be networked in a way that provides something for us when we need it. But the place that the New Testament speaks most plainly, what about our, our bodies? This, this aligns directly with what was going on in Daniel chapter 5 and, and the sensuality that was going on. But, but Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, what it's, what it's saying to us is that, that our bodies are a temple. They are holy. They're set apart. And yet, we use them in ways. We believe that we've been given them just to satisfy our own desires. It's the sin of Belshazzar. It's the same thing. I look for ways to satisfy my appetites. The passage says we use our bodies for fornication, for, for, for sexual indulgence in ways that they were not meant to be. And by doing so, we corrupt the good thing that God has given us. We profane it. In Belshazzar, we see these things. We see these things. He was judged in, in the same way we will be judged. We will be judged. We need something to cover over our the fact that we're lacking to, 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 to tip the scales in our favor, and it's the grace of God. The second thing we see in, in, in Belshazzar is his hubris, his arrogance, and this third thing here, this third thing, that he was using the good gift of God selfishly to feed his own desires, and we do the same thing. And the last key person in here is Daniel, and, and just quickly to say, like, Daniel wasn't using God's gift for personal gain, right? Like, this is what we do, but Daniel was not. He stands in contrast to Belshazzar. He stands in contrast. But finally, and to wrap up with this, okay? To wrap up with this. And, and we've been saying this repeatedly, but it is the theme of the book of Daniel. Okay? If God saw fit, if God saw fit to make this point over and over again with his people, I think it's important that we see it as well. The, the key idea here, the last thing, and the last, if you will, character in this is God himself, that he is completely in control. That's the message that he gives. When Daniel, when da after the, the um, Belshazzar calls Daniel in to, to interpret, and Daniel gives the history lesson, look at what, just rem remember what Daniel said in verse 18. This is the beginning of what he's saying to the king. He says, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar these things. He gave them to him. Nebuchadnezzar didn't earn them. He didn't go out and take them for himself. God gave them to him. He only had them because God had granted them to him. And he goes through that whole, that whole history lesson. He lectures him about it, that all power came from God. And, and then he ends it with this. Until, and, and he goes through the whole thing with, with Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, living like a wild animal. And he, 
like a wild animal. And he says, until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Until he acknowledged this truth. He ends with this, that God is sovereign. God stands alone. No one can compare to him. God answers to no other authority. None. He's not interested in reinterpreting the facts to better meet our desires. He does as he sees best. God cannot be stopped. And so you just come back to this. God is completely in control. He's completely in control. We must need to hear it repeatedly because God says it over and over again here. I'm going to call the band down to, to lead us in worship again. And as we do, I want to just I want to do something with you to just for this week, okay? For this week, I love, I love these statements that are, that are just clear from Scripture, but also um, <laughs> they just sort of fit, okay? And um, most of us, now, if you have a history in farming or machinery, you may not have this benefit, but most of us have five fingers, right? Okay? And this, I, I, I would, I want you, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do it. Maybe you're, maybe you, you're like, but would you hold up your hand for me? Would you do it? Either, either way, it doesn't matter, okay? I think God gave you five fingers for many good reasons, okay? Most prominent of them is to eat chicken wings. But, but, Okay? When we take this, I'm going to challenge you this week when you, to, to, to do this on a regular basis. There's five words in that statement that we all need. And you've got five fingers, right? God is completely in control. Five words. Five words that I know you need. I know you need when you get up in the morning. I know I do. God is completely in control. In Espanol, Dios está completamente en control. Can you do it? Because look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When I'm defiant and I'm going about my life my own way, I need those five words. I'm not in control. God is completely in control. And at the same time, when I'm anxious... When anxiety begins to get the better of me, I need those five words. God is completely in control. This is, this is the message. This is the message that God, through his servant Daniel, continues to just give to the, the kings of Babylon that, that ultimately they refused, they rejected. Can you do that? This week, God is completely in control. Okay? Pray with me. Father, we're, uh, we're thankful that you are in control, even as we at times um, try to hang on to it and, and, and grab hold of our own lives. And um, the truth is we make a mess of it that way. Like Belshazzar, we, we forget you. We push you aside. We arrogantly believe that we, can, we make it on our own without thought of you. 
But God, we need the reminder that ultimately you answer to no one. You, if you can set in, in motion events over nations and kings and kingdoms, you, you clearly, you clearly can settle the, the tension in my life and in my soul. God, help us to trust you, to believe you. Not just to, to acknowledge the fact, but to, but to rest in the, the reality that no matter what we're facing, it's, it's yours. You've got it. And we thank you for that. Because really we do believe you can, you can handle it much better than we can. And so, God, we, we give ourselves to you, our lives to you, and we ask for more faith to trust you in it. And we pray all of this, thanking you for your grace, God, through Jesus. Amen. God, you are completely in control. We are your people. We're so grateful for you, God. We're grateful for your word, which reminds us, which sets us on the path your path. We thank you for your spirit, which reminds us and convicts us and guides us into your truth, the truth that you are completely in control. God, help us to live, live each day that way. Help us as a body to, for that to be the message that goes out from this place. It's not about us, God, that you are completely in control. God, we look forward to, to uh, just being together and to having lunch together. We thank you for the food that we're about to eat together and for the fellowship that we can have because we know your son it unites us, it binds us together, it binds every language, every people who know you together as one. And we want to celebrate that as we have lunch today. And we pray all these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so it's time for lunch. First Sunday lunch, so you can go ahead and head out those doors and by the youth area into the youth room, and the food is waiting. Let's go.